Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. There are so many important things in the news these days that it's almost impossible not to feel overwhelmed at times. The revelations and implications of the January 6th committee hearings, the exploding inflation rate, the war in Ukraine, COVID and now monkeypox, mass shootings, and the legislative debates that have inspired, as well as the strong possibility that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. So we thought it would be a good idea to find out what you, our listeners, are most concerned about. And I've asked Bob Henley, my colleague here at WBAI, to join me as we take your calls. Bob, as you probably know, reports for public radio, various news organizations, and is the host of a Monday morning show here on WBAI called What's Going On. His book, Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People, is published by Democracy at Work. And I'm always pleased to welcome Bob Henley to our show. Hi, Bob. Hi. Good morning. I'm uh, at the uh, uh, Metro uh, train station Island waiting for a train to go down to Washington, so uh, please forgive any uh, train sound. Okay, well, we don't want to confuse people. It is no longer morning. It's after 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but that's okay. (laughs) We would love to hear from our listeners, and uh, uh, the number to call is 212-209-2877. If you want to be on the air, if you have a concern... If you want to discuss some of the things that are happening in the news, 212-209-2877. And, Bob, before we get to some of those listener calls, are there any things that you think we should discuss that I, I didn't mention in my introduction? Wow. Well, no, I think you've covered it. I do think that um, I have a piece out this morning uh, with uh, in, at Insider NJ. I was down in Trenton yesterday, and I will say that uh, it's clear to me that uh, labor – is in ascendancy. I mean, just today we saw that um, uh, New Jersey transit engineers who have not had a, a contract and are stuck at the bargaining table had a job action related to the Juneteenth holiday, uh, which is upon us. Uh, there I was down in Trenton and there were dozens of union uh, members from 32BJ, SCIU petitioning the governor and Senate president and uh, speaker of the assembly for $100 million in hazard pay, uh, which is considerably fair uh, when you uh, consider that uh, uh, New Jersey is sitting on $10 billion in surplus, $3 billion mm. of it, federal money. So there's a lot going on. Could lower the, the, uh, the, the taxes at the pump, I imagine. Again, a reminder that if uh, listeners want to join the conversation, our number here is 212-209-2877. Um, another thing we discussed uh, the last time you were on the show was the Poor People's Campaign. You want to just fill us in on that very quickly before we go sure, on to sure, sure. some of the big stories of the day? Sure, sure. I, well, this has been building for quite a while. People who listen to our know that uh, Pacifica WBI, WPFW, will be carrying remotely uh, the Poor People's Campaign, which is the culmination of... Uh, Uh, A few years of work uh, by uh, Reverend Barber and uh, Dr. Liz uh, Theo Harris and a broad coalition of labor and uh, community activist groups across the country. Uh, The idea is to try to refocus the conversation on working people who carried this nation throughout the pandemic and who have seen their, um, their, their cost of living go up stratospherically, but also their wages just not keep pace. And so... It's time to call that national question. I mean, uh, we are, as the book, my book mentions, uh, we are a stuck nation. I, I, you know, we spend billions of dollars to project military might around the world. And we can't keep our children safe in the schools. We can project force all around the world, and we can't provide infant formula in this country in a regular way that's affordable. This country is profoundly stuck, and this builds on the work of Martin Luther King who raised all these questions had a century ago, and unfortunately, in many ways, we're worse off today than we were then. I was watching, uh, I've been watching the uh, the uh, 
uh, House Committee January 6th hearings, and um, I was talking with an attorney the other day about them and what the repercussions might be for Donald Trump, and he said that he thought it was unlikely that Trump will be punished for inciting the erection, but that there's a, a, a good chance he might even go to jail for having his campaign send out millions of emails to his supporters asking them to step up to protect election integrity by making a donation to what was being called the official election defense fund. I don't know if any of our listeners received that request. (laughs) (laughs) I suspect BAI listeners aren't on that list. But uh, have you followed that? That that fund doesn't appear to have actually existed. Right, right. And so one of the things is that as a reporter, I've made it my business to get on all of these lists. And so um, I had a piece in Salon, actually started at Insider NJ, and just looking at um, the testimony of Bill Stepien by way of introduction. Mm-hmm. He was Donald Trump's campaign manager. He was a New Jersey uh, native, came up through the New Jersey Republican Party, um, and he had, of course, been dismissed by Governor Christie when his role in Bridgegate surfaced. He took the Fifth Amendment during that period of time managed to elude accountability on that issue, uh, but then has morphed on to have a considerable uh, national campaign consultancy. It's very important to understand that uh, the way that he has structured uh, his appearance before the House committee was all on videotape. He had uh, appeared before them and been deposed at a prior time. He did not do the uh, live testimony mm-hmm. was as planned because apparently his wife went into labor. However, um, one of the things that the House Committee could have made inquiry of if there had been a live interaction was why it was that on uh, eight days after the election, and that's when Mr. Stepping, if you watch the hearings, insists that he stepped away from the Trump campaign because he was with Team Normal. He was concerned about the reputation and the dishonesty of what was going on. In point of fact, I was on a broadcast teleconference call where he was a featured act eight days after the election, priming the pump and banging the drum for for funding stopping the steal. It was a high production value call. I have no doubt it didn't produce all kinds of contributions. And so to this day, he continues to get, I think, reporting indicates um, over $1.4 million in, uh, in receipts, some of them linked back to Trump, to support... Trump's acolytes that, as we speak, are attempting to do legally what they couldn't do unconstitutionally back in January. Well, it went to Trump's Save America PAC uh, instead right. of the uh, the fund, the official election defense fund, which uh, was supposed to uh, go spend money on election litigation. Uh, Trump's Save America PAC made contribution to Mark Meadows' charity, to an organization that employed former Trump staffers, to the Trump Hotel collection, and to the company that organized the January 6th rally. Exactly. So um, that was... uh, I think that's a scam, and couldn't he be – can that be traced to him specifically? Because it seems to be part of the problem is um, a lot of these things might send – cause other people to go to jail. But uh, if Trump put a certain amount of distance between himself and the actual act, perhaps he's still protected. Well, it's also – I think he raised $100 million in that first week of that operation – that, you know, Stepien was a part of on that New Jersey call. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this question of um, individual culpability, uh, we can see some potential cause of action within different states, and there is a range depending on where various things are registered. So we know that the Attorney General in New York, Letitia James, has been successful uh, in giving him a bad hair day when it <laughs> came to his charity. Um, she has been successful in holding accountable the NRA. So but the question is, does it ever cross over into the criminal realm from mm. the civil? And that, you're right, that has been a problem because so far he's, uh, and this goes back to Atlantic City. I mean, this guy has been operating like this for years and does always seem to manage to leave everybody else holding the bag. Again, the number 212-209-2877 if you want to join 
this conversation, 212-209-2877. There's a lot of other stuff to talk about. For example, uh, there's concern about the the Democrats' growing problem with Hispanic voters, and uh, I wonder whether any of our listeners have an insight into why uh, that has become a problem for the Democrats. Well, I think that uh, you have to look at we can't look at this as a monolith constituency. And so uh, it is really varied. I mean, the people that I uh, was covering yesterday, people from uh, Make the Road Walking uh, New York, uh, New Jersey, um, and the folks involved with the labor movement, those are progressive folks who probably feel that the Democratic Party is not doing enough for working people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, there's many, many different demographics within each one of these groups. And so um, I do think that there is this question about uh, the Democrats not delivering, you know, and following through. We know that and it was very cruel that in the American Rescue Plan, they extended this uh, expanded child tax credit, which lifted literally 40 percent of uh, the single parent households, many of them Latino, uh, out of poverty. And then incredibly, due to Manchin and Cinema. They did not renew it and just dropped it. Hmm. And those people fell back into poverty. Similarly, the minimum wage it has been stuck at seven twenty five an hour since 2009. And the Democrats, when they're in control, have not been able to move it. And in that case, it just... But that's despite the fact that we have experienced some very serious inflation. So that minimum wage, which was probably inadequate right. even when it was enacted, is now just right. a joke. Right, and even the $15 minimum wage that's in New York and the one in New Jersey that's been pegged to inflation, it is falling behind. I have seen reliable data that indicates that in, to live in New York City, depending on the zip code, requires with one child without drawing down welfare is anywhere between 24 and $44 an hour. So that's the real world. And the problem is that what we've seen is the wealth continues to accumulate at the top. We've seen it accelerate. There's never been any greater level of wealth inequality than right now. And that tax structure, that pyramid tax structure that McConnell and Trump put in place is still in place today, which punishes work and rewards idle capital. And then there's this controversial interest rate hike by the Fed. Right. Well, this is when you get into the business of the cost of money. That is the capitalist game. And that's where... For instance, you'll hear on Morning Joe, the neoliberal economist Steve Ratner, who was the uh, money, the, the bag man for Michael Bloomberg, global investments, he'll come up with his charts, he'll make this argument that we spent too much money on pulling the country out of the pandemic. And if we were just more conservative with our expenditures, and there's never a discussion about the profligate greed at the very top of the system that's driving Hikes where companies, and it's been documented with internal emails, where they cynically use this moment of scarcity to drive the price as high as they can. Should we take some calls? Because uh, sure. there, there's all sorts of stuff to discuss. We, we've been talking about a few of them, but yes, there are those hearings. Uh, there is the inflation rate, there's the war in Ukraine, COVID, monkeypox, uh, mass shootings, and gun control. Uh, Ro- by our shareholders, the listeners. <laughs> Roe v. Wade, uh, which may be overturned. And um, although uh, some of those things, concerned about some of those things, have uh, suggested that uh, voters will uh, be supporting the Democrats in the next election uh, right. out of concern, uh, the, pre- the, the polls don't seem to suggest that. I would tell you that it's, uh, we're in really unprecedented water. So we have had kind of like a soft um, coup that has continued. It's not like any other time we've had. We do have this reflex and this kind of nostalgia to want to keep seeing history the way it's always been without understanding that really like, say, uh, Perón, in Argentina, 1950. Hmm. Nobody's really in. Nobody's really out. Nobody's really in control. Everybody has an idea. That's kind of the ongoing disequilibrium brought to us by Donald Trump and the rest of the fascists. And so 
um, you have to remember, in 2018, voters really surprised the pundits. They keep surprising the pundits, and then the pundits say they didn't see it coming. Turnout was extraordinary in the biannual election. Un- unprecedented. You have to go back 60, 70 years. And young people did not disappoint. So we can't presume necessarily that um, the past is prolonged. Not always. My guest is Bob Henley, who's joining me today uh, in this open phone segment in which uh, we are inviting our listeners to talk about the important events of the day. Again, the number 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM. It's streaming live at WBAI.org. So let's take uh, some of those calls. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. I'm just making sure that I am on the air. You are. It's you. Uh, so, Mr. Henwood, you just spoke very briefly about the tax situations in the United States where the rich is paying little and the uh, working people are paying a lot. Why do you think that the average working person would entertain that? That's the first question. Uh, I'm thinking because it's like responsibility. And the second uh, statement is I really would love for WBAI to cover these tax stories, you know, about uh, in a more detailed way so that the average person can understand it and make an impact to change it. Because I, I think most people just don't understand really what's going on here, you know. Because uh, I'm starting to interact with a lot of people in a different uh, economical and racial backgrounds. I have a tendency to dialogue with people. A lot of the people who are for Trump will say, you know, well, the Democrats are taking all of our money. They're not doing anything to, to help the working people. Yet they don't know anything about the tax laws that have been changed through Trump and the kind of impact that it makes on the average working person. I'm going to allow you to, you know, I would like you to answer that. And please think oh, sure. No, I think you've covered, it. you've covered it brilliantly and concisely. I mean, part of the problem here is that... Wait, wait, but Bob, I want to ask you a question along those lines. Do you think that sure. the, pre- the press handled the... Trump tax cuts accurately enough and uh, completely enough so that the public would even understand how things have changed? I, I don't think that we've done a very good job explaining the macroeconomy uh, in American education. And so um, all you have to do is uh, interact with young people who are starting work. Often, you know, I remember doing the investigative work around trying to find out which industries were getting hazard pay and encountering young people at the cash register, helping me at uh, Home Depot or wherever. And they had not even checked their pay stub. They weren't even aware that they were entitled to this hazard pay that was open for a little while. So there is a, a kind of blank slate here. And so what does happen is that we have this, um, this media um, environment which creates this, this kind of worship of people that are very wealthy. It is their kind of royalty. If you'll notice that in, in all the programming, uh, someone like uh, uh, Gates or someone that's involved with philanthropy, we imbue in them a sense of great character because baked into the way that uh, we report news is this basic idea that those people that have made great fortunes are stellar people with great characters. It's the way of reinforcing late-stage vulture capitalism. But they're not paying taxes, many of them. No, they're not. And so, and yet, we celebrate their philanthropy, which they must do in order to preserve their wealth. Yeah, well, they get a tax rebate as well. Exactly. So estate planning, and it also permits you to manage society as you starve society of the resources required for the basics to keep a functioning society working. Caller? This is, uh, okay. I just want to know, caller, is that okay? Should, would I move on? Oh, the caller is gone. Um, okay, finish your thought, and we'll go to another call. No, no, no. I'm just saying that, that I would say that also one of the things that happened is the union movement was betrayed by the Democratic Party. One of the mm-hmm. things that the fallout, the, the opening that was created by Donald Trump was a hollowing out of industrial America, which was a bipartisan collaboration. There's no mistake. There's a reason why that you have the revolving door from both parties into doing the uh, bidding of multinational corporations. 
for a half century, it has been government policy to use the tax code to create an environment where multinationals based in the U.S. can expand their reach around the world. The notion was that would reinforce democracy. Exactly the opposite happened, and they became larger and beyond the ability of the United States to have any way of regulating them. And that's where we are now. Okay, let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Leonard and uh, Bob? My name's Paul. I'm very interested in the issue of the Ukraine, well, it's actually started by Russia, Mm -hmm. Ukraine war, uh, because let's say I'm on the left, and I am, uh, but (laughs) some of my colleagues, my comrades, uh, even in the Green Party, uh, resist the notion that Russia, in a way, should be held accountable for the war, you know, for, for doing the first the invasion in the first place, and uh, and should with, withdraw. And my thing back to them, when they start saying, "Oh, well, NATO is at fault," okay, <laughs> you know, I floated resolutions uh, as far back as very early this year to say. United States should lead the way out of NATO and unjoin from NATO ourselves. And, you know, I think not that that's enough, but I, I don't think uh, we have any business in interfering with what should be a bilateral negotiation between Russia and Ukraine. And also that we, uh, that, you know, we as leftists should at least to have a little sympathy for the national ambitions of the Ukrainians, and obviously not so much for the territorial ambitions of Mr. Putin. So, uh, I mean, I'm laying it out in brief. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Bob, you want to join this? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I, like yeah, I mean, I, so I'd like to listen to your comments. Uh, sure, sure. That I, I think that we and, you have and to pull just back. a constructive way forward for the for left-wing in this country. Go ahead, Bob. I miss a, uh, okay, so I um, I would say that it's very important about where do we start this narrative, when it's important to know that the United States, right or wrong, extended it in the breakup of the Soviet Union, extended a guarantee to backstop Ukraine if they gave up their atomic weapons. Uh, it's also, I think, it's important to know that um, this there is, we have to count for the fact that we do have this uh, this iron triangle that uh, Eisenhower warned us about, which is the military-industrial complex, which has its unraised and death row that is constantly working to find a way to promote itself and does have K Street and all the other levers of power lined up to exploit every opportunity to uh, sell armaments to as many people as possible and to proliferate uh, weapons around the world. So that has to be put down there as a, as a given. That said, there is also the fact that we set the stage for some of this because of the mixed signals we had from the Trump administration. We have a very bad time of perceiving how we're perceived outside of the United States. Sometimes we don't even know where these countries are. And so we set ourselves up to look very foolish when you had uh, Trump actually holding weapons hostage, violating U.S. law in exchange for what he thought would be an inside track on an investigation of Biden. And so all of a sudden then, we don't remember that whatever reason, we lost control of our national government and had this guy making the geopolitical call. And he was only only saying wonderful things about Putin. They were buddies. Exactly. And so I do think also we have to go back to the fact that the mismanagement by the United States and multinationals that exploited the dismantling of the Soviet Union, the fortunes that were created overnight with all that great wealth that was built up by the people of uh, the Soviet Union in the way of these amazing um, uh, huge national corporations that were gutted from the inside, sometimes with collaboration from American actors. I mean, it's very hard. It's like it's like being in a brawl and then trying to figure out who the right people are. You know, who do you want to side with? Let's uh, thank I thank you so much for your call. 
I'm sure other people uh, will want to join in that conversation. And there are so many other things, as I said, to talk about these days. And we are inviting listener calls at 212-209-2877. WBAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi. It's you. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Leonard. Excellent program. Uh, a couple points. Um, it, se- it seems like the divisions and cynicism and mismanagement are only getting worse, um, and that the, the the extremes get pushed every every time we have a new uh, a new uh, election. And uh, a couple questions. Uh, one, the the Trump fraud, where where his people were using credit cards to uh, to loot uh, people's credit cards and bank accounts. I remember uh, Lyndon LaRouche's people got in trouble with that back in the 80s, and a bunch of people went to jail for that. So hopefully they'll hold Trump accountable. Uh, the, the other thought is, um, you know, oil companies, you know, with their windfall profits, certainly they should be taxed fully. Do they still enjoy it, the oil depletion, allow a, uh, a, a tax breaks and all kinds of uh, favorable um, uh, corporate uh, subsidies from the federal government? Yeah, they they do, and one of the things, the one of the major ways that they enjoy this benefit is the ability to assign their profits to other jurisdictions, and this has been one of the things that uh, that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, to her credit, tried to do and came close, was coming up with a universal tax requirement of a fifteen percent minimum so that we could stop this race to the bottom. Right now, it sounds like you're well aware of this. What we have is this kind of snake pit where every nation competes against the other, like to be concierge for multinational capital. How low can we go? Let's pay for your deposit. Here's the toaster. Please park your billion dollars here. And so that's kind of been the setting. So in that environment, they've been able to do it. Also, it's important to know that there are tremendous uh, environmental costs related to the extraction of fossil fuel business. And historically, what we've done is we've permitted them to socialize the pollution and privatize the gain. And so there's a million ways this is done. We had it happen with Chris Christie. One of his famous capers that didn't get enough attention was when he was head of the Republican Governor's uh, Committee raising money and as governor of New Jersey. He totally folded on a massive natural resource development a settlement that was supposed to settle all of the claims that belonged to Exxon for a century of Standard Oil polluting and degrading the natural resource base of the Hudson waterfront, which killed off the ability of that waterfront and its natural capacity to control floodwaters. And so rather than pay out, they came up with a pittance settlement. That's just one tiny example. Thank you so much for your call. I am joined by Bob Henley, my colleague here at WBAI, a journalist and uh, obviously somebody who knows a little bit about what's going on. Again, the number 212-209-2877. If you hear some noise in the background, it's because Bob is actually talking to us from a train station. And so we're hearing uh, announcements and the like. But um, it's, it's okay, Bob. Anyway, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, my name is Nelson Flores. I'm the New York City civil servant watchdog. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Thanks Hi, for Nelson. calling. Hi, Bob. How are you? Great. Good to hear from you, Nelson. Okay, I just wanted to touch on a few topics that you guys mentioned. You know, Trump and his big lie. You know, I got an acronym from Trump. It's uh, Trump. He's totally robbing the money, people. You know, he, he robbed everybody's money. And it's a shame. And as to the hazardous pay... The government and the politicians, which I call politicians because they have a bunch of politics, <laughs> they introduced this hazardous pay for these members, and they grouped them up and said they were essential workers, and then they souped them up to get down to the bill and then the letdown because they never got nothing by not passing exactly. the bill. So they're supposed to be essential workers, but they only got the E-right, as they were all expendable in the end, as many of the civil servants were laid off or mm-hmm. fired because of not getting the COVID shot. 
And I think that that's a travesty that in one breath, the government, the city, the state says they're essential when the pandemic's going on. But then when everything starts simmering down, hey, I mean, you get bailed out by the government, they forget about the essential workers. So how essential were they? That's my question to the government. And, and your question to, to Bob Henley as well, Bob, what do you... But what's your response? Well, I would say I would say that um, there is uh, there's a reaction to this. One of the things that's happening that's underreported. I mean, they shorthand it in the financial press as the Great Resignation, but people have taken notice of the low disregard that government agencies that Nelson knows so well and the corporations and the way that they handled the pandemic. I mean, it's this was something that was I guess we had a pandemic what a hundred years ago New York City uh, lost um, some 30,000 people then we lost over 40,000 now uh, we lost a million in the United States and counting it was 675,000 back during the, the Spanish flu but working people noticed that both the government and corporation failed them they were not prepared and so what happened is People, you see some 48 million people left their job last year. It's a record number. Wow. Because they have, they are looking at work in a new way and they're, and they're going to hold corporations and any employer to a new standard. And it is very much about putting family first because in this pandemic over these last two years, the government and corporations weren't looking out for our families. They weren't going to stay home with your kids when you were given the Hobson's choice of working your service job or making sure your their, your kids did their remote homework. And so there is an inflection point, and we're seeing it. We're seeing a 57% increase, Leonard, in the number of people, over 1,174 applications in the first half of the last fiscal year for union representation of 57% or 47% from the prior year hmm. and so there is the, the they're waking up I, we just opened with 10 minutes about labor development in new jersey alone well and there's uh, been a lot of stuff happening in staten island right here in new york uh caller right. is anything you want to add before i go to the next call yeah just one more thing you know on, on that trump big lie you know i just like to know who's the bigger fool the Republican that told the lie or the Republicans that continue to believe the lie? Mm. <laughs> well, you one is complicit. The other one is, um, you know, believing what you want to believe. Well, and I think that but I think that we do have to look at the fact that part of this comes from the disconnect that occurred between the uh, corporate news media and the experience of the American people. And so back in 2016, I was one of the, I guess there were some reporters, I was not surprised that Trump won because I saw that in places like Cincinnati and Cleveland and Philadelphia, large swaths of the inner city had abandoned homes. The, the reality is that it wasn't just a, a surge of the reactionary right, but it was the fact that the Obama administration had let down African-American homeowners, African-American homeowners got the bragging right of having President Obama in the White House, but tens of thousands of them lost their own home when Wall Street was given a free pass to blow through all those neighborhoods. But, Bob, we should also point we should also point out that uh, Trump did not win the popular vote. He won in the Electoral College. Right. And part of the problem we still face in this country is that there are so many inequities in our election laws, uh, not only the gerrymandering, but all sorts of other things that have developed over the years that have made our elections not really always a reflection of the public's uh, desires. Well, I would agree. I would say it actually is a situation where the minority is locked in. If you look at this, you've had such area guests on about this. You look at the roots of the Electoral College, mm-hmm. uh, where we wanted to keep the two and also the two senators from each state, regardless of the population, keeping out Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. Um, yes, that's true. And all the various constraints and limitations at the state level, which have now 
gone into an even higher degree of uh, suppression of voter turnout. That all that said, the, that doesn't relieve the obligation of Democrats to actually speak to the real circumstance of the population that they want the honor and privilege to represent. I'll give you one clear example. We've talked about it before. We have right now 5 million households that are entitled to $14 billion of the uh, expanded child tax credit that's sitting in the U.S. Treasury now. And with the exception of some people like AOC, whose website has a guide on how to access this money, we do not see the work by the Democratic members of the House that they should be their job one to identify the families and households in struggle, who in some cases, Leonard, could get $3,600 per child. And that money's sitting there right now in the Treasury. And when you do that work, that's when you find out there's all kinds of reasons why people are not plugged in. They don't have Wi-Fi. They may be undocumented and have American-born children are terrified to get the benefits that we have passed that are sitting right now in the U.S. Treasury. And the lack of attention to detail by these people making a living as representatives is part of malpractice of their, their political requirements. Let's take another call, okay? WBAI, you're on the air. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Leonard, uh, for your show. And thank you for having on Bob. My name is Rachel Dawn. Um, thank you, Bob, for writing your book. Mm-hmm. Should we mention the name of the book again? It's what's. <laughs> it's called Shit. Stuck Nation. Can the United States yeah. Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People? <laughs> and it's published by Democracy at Work. Okay, go ahead, Rachel. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> and for, yeah, again, Bob, all of your reporting, your writing, I believe humans, especially organizers, should read that was uh, just mentioned, specifically for those interested in the intersect of social justice issues, campaign, um, you know, student economic inequality and environmental racism is our country. That's how we were founded. I had heard a, a, a black scholar recently say on WBAI, so much sense, the only way to really to really desegregate is to lift up economically, politically, all of that first, which never happened. Um, and it's evidenced by New Jersey especially. So thank you, Bob, for having focus of, of environmental racism right now uh, in in Newark and Patterson, but specifically the Passaic Valley Sewerage Commission. You had had on a couple of organizers, specifically a public health expert from Rutgers, to talk about the importance of stopping fossil fuel. That's one of seven projects the only state nation with the environmental justice law it just the rules were just implemented uh, just started to go into effect last Monday um, so yeah Bob can you talk a little bit about coverage and the, the website is stop dumping Newark stop dumping on Newark.org we have a huge slew of events coming up as you know you've covered Liz Theo Harris your show what's going on on Monday's best way to start everybody's Monday <laughs> um, but we have this huge Juneteenth, right? So we have a huge rally today in Newark. Um, we're focusing on reparations, A938, 386, and same-day voting, um, 1966, 247. This is a great moment, right? We have a lot of hope. That's also something that's in your book, which I want to mention. Um, but if you could talk a little bit about where, where, where you sit, connecting uh-huh. on all this. Well, listen, first of all, Rachel, your uh, your work with Water Spirit and all, and all the things that you're uh, involved with is so essential. And uh, it would be great to have you co-anchor what's going on one morning. I know you got kids, but um, maybe we can arrange something because you have an encyclopedic grasp of these issues yourself. Um, I would say that um, it is true that this um, New Jersey um, does have these moments where they come up with these laws that seem great, attract attention, scholars write about them. And then if there isn't a, like this, uh, Governor Murphy in the midst of the pandemic did come up with this insight um, that was codified and was supported, that we did not want to locate any more of these environmentally polluting things like um, the gas generators, like sewage plants, like we've been doing for since the beginning of the industrial age in areas where people of color and working class people congregate. And so that has, that's not unique to Newark. 
No, but it is, but it is the, the attempt by Murphy and the legislature to address it was. Hmm. And yet, the reality is, without community-based organizations that's reading the small print, that organizes in uh, a culturally relevant way, that can speak Spanish, that can speak Portuguese, without them holding these politicians accountable, the politicians will hold the press conference, Leonard, and then take hmm. campaign contributions, whatever dastardly fossil fuel or combustion uh, contraption it wants to build itself. So, I mean, that's why it's so essential to have that piece of community activism and actually do a little commercial for BAI, a place where we can even have these conversations. We look at the topics we've covered just in these last 40 minutes. And we are taking calls at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. This is Rose. I want to say your programs are always just delicious. Oh, thank you, Rose. And I also want to bring up something that all crime is economic. It fascinates me that John Manville made millions of dollars building houses in in the Greenbelt in Europe and, you know, the materials for and for the post-war housing boom, which we had when our GIs came home. Why we have stopped thinking along the idea of having more prefabricated items cut to fit to build new homes or, uh, as I say, greenbelt apartments, or even better yet, even elements that could be put into retrofitting um, downtown properties, you know, the brick buildings and what have you, with solar hot water panels. I mean, we have so many potential things to build in this country, and... Instead, we need to have more condos for the well-to-do. I mean, every every well-to-do person should have a condo here and a condo there and a farm out there. I mean, we are. We're, it's just like during the time of uh, FDR. He only went into high gear because he was told that if you don't do it, you're going to have a big problem. Well, we are in a big problem, and why aren't we having conversations about doing things like that? It just flabbergasts me. That well, we, we are have... having the conversation, and we've been yeah, having it on this yeah, show we, and Bob's Yeah, show. yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, in government, we don't. It's all about the best one money can buy. Yeah, and it's, well, a tra- it's a tragedy. Bob, maybe we should run for office. Yes. Uh, no, I Amen. think. <laughs> Too late. Too late yeah. for me. I would say that what is really uh, uh, amazing to me is that what I, one thing where I have seen a shift in an improvement from when I started, uh, I guess now it's some 40 years reporting, is that um, I saw the growth of watershed associations across the country. And this doesn't get um, highlighted because, you know, it's now present and ubiquitous. There has been a level of human consciousness um, where you see people take responsibility for where they lived in a granular way and do feel some responsibility of stewardship and so I am hopeful about that. But the stuff that Rose gets to, which is the potential that exists, that is why it is so frustrating to see that when we came to this precipice with Build Back Better, it choked. Because all of a sudden, the conversation became, can we afford, we can't afford it. And the question has to be, and that's one of the things I, I Reverend Barbara's been driving home, which is why I'm going to Washington, is can we afford not to do it? We have to flip that conversation. Rose, thank you so much for your call. And let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, you're on the air. Uh, I think that everything has to do with the language, just like the lady said. If you have a middle class, I don't qualify for Medicaid or for charity. And I have a house, but I cannot afford Medicare. Hmm. Now that I'm 65, I have to pay my own. And I'm in the middle for being a middle class. So we are the only one who pay taxes. The millionaire does not pay taxes. And if you are so poor, you have to deserve something. But if you're a middle class, you're in a bad position. Exactly right. So we'll do Russell. Is there anything you want to add to that, Bob, or... Well, I would say that what the caller has done is identify something that should be at the top of the agenda. I do find it passing strange that we've come through uh, and are still going through a pandemic. Over a million people have lost their lives. 
tens of millions of people are infected. A million people were forced out of the workforce because of some long uh, fall issues, according to the GAO. And the one thing we're not talking about, we're talking about everything else under the sun. In Ukraine, but we're not talking about universal health care. And so the fact that we are not capable of raising that conversation, even though we know that if we look at the excess mortality data that's now coming out, you can draw a direct line between the excessive loss of life, where it happened, and the lack of access to health care. I have a piece on labor press this week that looks precisely at the difficult world that EMTs, FDNY have, I was talking with Acting Commissioner Kavanaugh, who talked about how with the closure of hospitals, it's EMTs from the FDNY and the uh, other providers of that service that are feeling it. Imagine, we don't talk about the Elmhurst Hospital situation that had that melted down. People don't realize that half a dozen hospitals closed around that very same hospital in recent memory. Yeah, but... We have... Yeah, yeah. Let me finish. There's also been a decline in life expectancy for three years in a row prior to the pandemic. My guest, by the way, is Bob Henley, and we are uh, taking listener calls today on an open phone segment here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We are the only major industrial a nation that doesn't have universal health care. Um, when I was a student in England in 1960 and I got sick, I didn't have to worry about having to go to the doctor. Right. Uh, and it's pretty much every major country. And yet when it's proposed in this country, people start yelling socialism. <laughs> no, well, you're right. And I, I, I do think that the fact that our political system is wired in such a way that we can't even raise that conversation. We have the New York Health Act where it comes close, and yet in the final analysis, it's it's short of getting across the goal line. I do think that it's going to have to be a grassroots movement that continues to raise this issue because the political structure right now is not capable of doing it. Let's take another call, okay? BAI, you're on the air. Hi, Lenny. It's Russell. Hi, Russell. Hey, yep. hey, Bob, you know, I usually don't give to white male hosts on BAI, but you're going to be the exception because it's 7 a.m. on Monday. What's going on is a great show. But I have a few, a couple of specific questions. Don't need, you know, general answers. Number one, they cited Al Gore as a hero because he didn't fight for the people who voted for him. And we got 9-11, the Patriot Act, 20 years of war. Do you think he's a hero? I do not. Okay, number two, number two, thank you for giving that straight. Um, you know, they say it's obvious that Trump, uh, everyone said it was illegal to ask Pence to count the votes, although I would think a presiding old officer presides over the count. I thought he would just have to send it back to the states. If this was so obviously illegal, why do people talk about repealing the 1887 Electoral Count Act or clarifying it? The third real, the third real quick one. Now, uh, what would inflation be now if Bill Back better was enacted. In other words, what would you consider acceptable inflation? Twice as much as we have? And one last thing to the caller who thought up the big lie. If you don't look for something, you'll never find it. Thank you. Thank you for calling us, Russell. It's a tour de force. He compresses a lot and a little. Um, and we don't have a heck of a lot of time, so I know, I know. you're going to have to compress that, a bit yourself. Yeah, I know. I would just say that as far as go back better, um, I would think that we've got the inf- entire inflation argument wrong. Um, this country runs on scarcity, which is part of the problem. Um, you see the pandemic was driven by scarcity, scarcity of mass, scarcity of tests. And now what we have is a labor shortage, and we have a problem where people are not going back to work. So it would seem if you want to increase productivity without inflation, you facilitate people being able to return to work. What would that look like? That would look like making work pay by having corporations bear the burden for their excess and having working people take more home and help through a universal child care system and universal health care so that startup businesses and businesses of all kinds, including nonprofit, did not have to bear the burden of health care so that we could unleash the power of both as people and the, and the capital that has been misspent. Well, since we're talking about money and we're pretty much out of time on the show, 
Uh, I know you're going to want to join me in discussing a very serious problem that faces this nation because WBAI is now two months behind in paying the fee to have our signal transmitted from the broadcast tower at Fort Times Square. Uh, it, it, it's important uh, for FM radio stations, stations to broadcast from a, a high tower because the FM signal goes out in a straight line, and the higher the tower, the uh, further the signal goes. Uh, now, the rent comes to $17,000 a month, and we're asking our listeners to consider stepping up and supporting this station. We're th- two months behind. That's $34,000. Um, we, if we don't pay it, we're not going to be on the air. And these are difficult times. I would say that the station has learned and reduced costs dramatically considering the Empire State Building days. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that... Were, you, were we ever on the World Trade no. Tower? No, we never no. on the World Trade Tower. No, okay. no. And so um, I would say that um, we're at a point right now where because of the corporate media and these kinds of conversations are just not happening. I would, It's something that back in the day when I would say decades ago, this kind of freeform talk radio was fairly common. And that gave people a chance to drive the conversation and to um, engage. Um, we're, I think, about the last place. I know WNYC does it, but certainly not with the range of topics. And so... Um, well, we are free we speech about, radio. We don't... Uh, right. We, we don't take any money from uh, foundations or uh, we don't take ads on, on uh, some other public radio stations. They take what they call funding credits, which are really ads. We don't right. do that. We have remained pure, uh, and we pay a price for remaining <laughs> pure. Yeah, well, that's, that's a little, I don't know about pure 99.9 per 99.5. How's that? I'll say 99.5% pure. <laughs> I, would also say, I would also say that if you think about the debates that we're having now nationally and internationally, the issues around global warming, um, the issues about um, global taxation, about inequity, um, as frustrating as it is, those were relatively obscure discussions that we had amongst ourselves 20 years ago. These are now framing the global and national debate. And we accomplished that by having this big tent. And it comes up to listeners to continue to support it that the content can endure. Well, let me give out the number. Uh, you can, uh, uh, we, we ask you to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org. That's given the number to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950. Please do it right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, for $10 a month or more. Uh, and if you do, we'll be happy to send you a number of perks, including a WBAI tote bag. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI doesn't take ads, as I said, or foundation grants. Um, we are totally free speech radio, but we and we rely 100% on our listener support. So please... Call now. Again, the number 212-209-2950. Go online to give to WBAI.org to play your part in supporting independent free speech radio. My great thanks to Bob Henley for joining me today and to Reggie Johnson, Michael G. Haskins, my audio engineers, and to Keziah Glow, my executive producer for all the important work that they do throughout the week. If you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews, you can access our archive of nearly 700 shows at WBAI.org or go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. If you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. We'll see you uh, again on Monday. Have a great weekend.